Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. That was inspiring. Um, I do encourage any of you that uh, feel like you need to do something, uh, you know, go to, go to Millennium Park later or um, to Federal Plaza later. There, there will be other people who also want to do something, and, and you will find community and um, vitality. Anybody going to go? Yeah. Great. That's great. Um, so as we begin today, I want to um, read a quote from Bishop Tracy Smith Malone, who um, is a native to the Chicago area. She grew up in this area. She was ordained in this area. She used to be one of my colleagues until she became elected bishop, and now she serves um, in the Ohio area. And she says, and, and this is a reminder, because I think we, we see these events and we think they're horrific, and we, there's this, this quick response, and then we go back to life as normal, right? And so I, I love what she says. She says, every day is the day for the masses to rise up and say no more to bigotry, prejudice, racism, violence, hatred, corruption, and evil. We are the masses. We are the difference makers. And so she called on us to join Bishop Sharma Lewis, who um, is in Charlottesville, or is the bishop of the Virginia area, um, in protest and prayer and injustice, that, um, that we would put legs and actions to our prayers. Oftentimes we say, I'm praying, and that's great. We should be praying. And sometimes our prayers should have legs and action. Yes. So... Um, Um, I also want to say that this, this incident that happened yesterday is horrible, and it actually doesn't change anything that we're doing at UVC. It maybe sharpens our focus. It maybe says, yes, we, uh, we, we see even more urgency around what we're doing, and, and it's more clear, and it's more focused. But it is, it is, we're not doing anything different. We will continue to um, strive to be an anti-racist community. We will continue to um, not only look outward in the city, but also inward at ourselves as an institution that is racist, because most institutions are. We will continue to look inward on ourselves and, and look at our own internal biases and continue on this journey of our baptismal covenant, which is to resist, do you guys know it by now, evil and injustice and oppression in whatever forms they find themselves. We will continue to do that work, okay? So let us pray. God, sometimes there are no words, and we know that you come to us in spirit and comfort us and cry with us and put words to the place where there are no words. We sit in that place today, 
Be still our hearts, steady our souls, and strengthen us for the journey ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we're going to talk about being committed to the city. That's the topic that we had planned. We're also committed to what's happening in Charlottesville, but Charlottesville is not the only city in the um, country of the United States that has white supremacy as its rule. And so we are committed to this city and um, making changes. And, um, and so we're going to talk about that today. All right. I'm going to first share about my decision to live in Chicago. So it was about 13 years ago. My cousin was getting married out um, by the airport on a Friday night. Monica and I lived in Atlanta at the time, and we decided that um, we would use the Chicago wedding as a way to decide if we wanted to live here long term. So Saturday morning, we boarded the blue line, took it downtown, switched to the red line, and of course, the first stop that we made off the red line was Addison Street, so I could take my obligatory picture as a lifelong Cubs fan in front of Wrigley Field. Then uh, we continued walking into the Boys Town area, and were overwhelmed and shocked by the LGBT inclusion in that place. Um, you know, in Atlanta, there were businesses that maybe had a rainbow flag that they could sort of like put out when it was convenient and take up when it was convenient, or a little rainbow sticker in the corner of the door to let us know that it's safe. Uh, but I never assumed that Chicago would have a section of the town that was so inclusive that they, that an architect and a city planner and permits and building, that they would have concrete pylons of rainbowness to let me know I was welcome in this city, right? I was in awe. I was in awe. Um, I don't spend much time in Boys Town anymore, but that is a reminder that I am welcome in this city. And what I will say is that we don't have that same reminder for other communities. So uh, we decided to stay in the city. And of course, the trade-off was that um, sort of like Greg, I grew up in a town of 3,000 people, so a little bigger than Greg's. Um, the trade-off was that um, I was going to be living in a city that was 100 times bigger than the town I grew up in. Um, that um, as my cousin, my cousin who got married uh, out by O'Hare, he grew up in a town of 800, and he pointed out to me that the condo he lived in on Lakeshore Drive had more people in it than the town he grew up in, <laughs> right? So there was shock. That's the cost of feeling welcome is that um, things are different, right? It's a huge city. And in this huge city that we all come to for many different reasons, some of us are born into it and we decide to stay. Some of us flee from other places for um, reasons of safety, for reasons of inclusion, for, um, so that you feel accepted, right? Raise your hand if you're in this city because it's been a refuge for you in some way. Yeah. Uh, okay, only half of you raised your hand, but I'm pretty sure that the other half, just your arms were asleep right? The city is a refuge for us in many ways. It's this place to escape otherness and isolation um, that many of us maybe felt growing up. It's a place um, 
that you can find others like you because there's so many people. I mean, I did a quick meetup thing, and there was like uh, a Kierkegaard philosophers group meeting. There was um, a UFO conversation group. There was a vegan potluck, a wine tasting, a soccer club, a naked yoga, and there was also an anti-meetup group for 20-sums, right? Like, you, you can find your people here. Yes, they might be, you know, four miles away, which is, you know, in a small town, nothing, but in a city that's like hours, right? <laughs> they might be four hours away, but you can find your people here. Uh, but what that means is we often scatter ourselves in the city, right? We go here for our naked yoga, we go here for brunch because they have the best huevos rancheros. We go here for uh, shopping because they have the best deals on purses. Um, we scatter ourselves throughout the city instead of being rooted in a very particular place. And what that does is it turns us into consumers instead of contributors. We become consumers of the city instead of contributors to the city. And for many of if you grew up in Chicago, maybe this mindset isn't the case. How many of you guys grew up in Chicago? There's a, a fair amount of you, yeah. If you grew up in Chicago, I don't think this is the case, but for those of you that didn't grow up and you come, many of us have this idea, and I'll admit to myself, I'm gonna live in the city for five or 10 years, enjoy it, and then what? Move to the suburbs where there's more room, yeah? and I could put down roots, right? Isn't that the American dream? Maybe. <laughs> Can you put roots down into a city, a cement jungle? Yes, you can. I'm looking at a two-generation family right there that has put roots into the city. I'm looking at folks that deliberately chose to move to the city and retire here and put down roots, right? You can. So my, example, my relationship with the city was, was consuming, and I think many of us have that relationship. Um, but instead of just consuming, I think God is calling us to invest, to contribute, to build into the city. Um, that's what our scripture says today. That's what Jeremiah told his people today, to seek the welfare of the city. So back in about 597 BCE, give or take a few dozen years, um, so that's about 600 years before Jesus was born, uh, Babylon overtook the kingdom of Judah. And they uh, then what they did is they uh, took all the people from Jerusalem and they made, forced them to all go into exile into the city of Babylon. So here's King Jehoiachin and his family. Um, it's his royal court. And it's about a thousand of the you know, big time mover and shakers in the kingdom of Babylon. You can imagine the people, right? All the muckety mucks. And uh, they all have to go and live in this world that they do not know. Babylon, um, in this place where they don't even worship the same God. They worship Marduk, and they have different customs and different ways of living, and it's unbearable, and it's hard in this city that they do not know. And they hope that it's just for the short term. See, there were two prophets. There was Jeremiah and, prof and the prophet Hananiah. 
I always, get, I always can't say that word. And they both predicted that there was going to be an exile, that, that uh, Israel would be defeated, that Judah would be defeated, and they would be sent to exile, in exile. Hananiah said, though, oh, it's just going to be short term. Jeremiah said, no, it's going to be 70 years. Who do you think they believed? Who would you want to believe? Yeah, man, I'd, I'd be like Team Hananiah all the way. But eventually they realized that it was Jeremiah that was speaking the truth. He said, you know, you're going to be here a while. You're going to be here 70 years. That is a generation. That is more than a generation. You are going to be in this place. And so stop dreaming of another place. Stop dreaming of the suburbs. And seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray on the Lord's behalf for its welfare, because in its welfare you will find your welfare. This word uh, welfare that we see in our translation is, is it's shalom, peace and prosperity. Seek the peace and prosperity of your city for the, for the human flourishing of that city. So we are called to seek the shalom of Chicago. And I say that, y'all, I'm making fun of people that move to the suburbs. I move to the suburbs. I live like a half a mile over the Chicago line. So, but it doesn't mean that I've stopped seeking the welfare of the city. I had a conversation with someone um, several months ago. She lived up in Deerfield. And she was like, I'm so glad I moved out of the city because now I don't ever have to think about it again. What? Are you kidding me? The suburbs are like the sisters or the cousins of the city. We all, we all have to seek the welfare of the city. Because in its welfare, we will find our welfare. So what does this mean when we see events like Charlottesville happening? How many of you wanted to, like, wish you could be in Charlottesville yesterday? Yeah, me too. And then I realized, oh, wait, we actually have our own problems here in Chicago too. And so we can, we can go and support in places like Char- Charlottesville, but then we have to come back here and do the work too. It's not a one-day thing over in Charlottesville. It's an everyday thing here in this city where we live that we are called by God to seek the welfare of. It's right here in this city. And what it says is to seek peace and prosperity for ourselves and also for our neighbors. And when I think about neighbors, I think about Jesus' story when they say, oh, who's my neighbor? And who does Jesus point out as a neighbor but a Samaritan, somebody not like the person who was injured, Somebody that, um, that, that had different religious and ideological thoughts. Somebody that was seen as, as worshiping on the wrong mountain. That's a neighbor. That's your neighbor that you're seeking the welfare for. So this dense population that we live in, where you are sitting closer to strangers on the L than you do your parents sometimes at Thanksgiving. Yeah. 
This is the place that we are called to seek the welfare of. And I wonder, what does it mean to be contributors? What does it mean to to seek the welfare of the city, to not just be a consumer of it, but to be a contributor? What does it mean for you personally? What does it mean for us as a church in this community, this neighborhood of Edgewater? How do we seek the welfare of Edgewater? It is hard because we are so mobile and we're so connect- we're connected, but it's all out there, right? We're, we're connected to people at work. We're connected to our, I keep talking about naked yoga. Um, and then we come home Then we come home, and we don't even know the name of our neighbor. We might know the name of their dog. Do you, for real, just completely true, raise your hand if you know the name of your neighbor that lives on both sides of you. Okay, so let the record show like half of the people. Maybe not quite even half of the people. Okay, I'll just, how about the dog? How about the dog, if you know that? Okay, there's a couple more people. There we go. How can we seek the welfare of the city when we don't even know the name of the people that live closest to us? When we don't even know our neighbor, their stories, their hopes, their hurts, their dreams? How can we seek the welfare of the city? Because I would imagine that some of our neighbors are seeking refuge in the city like I was, but they aren't finding it. That um, this city isn't the safe place that all of us have found it to be. So how can we be builders and contributors to something good, to what Jesus calls the kingdom of God right here? Not off somewhere in the future, but right here, right now. Jeremiah says to build houses and live in them. Okay, so in Chicago, probably we're not going to be buying an empty lot and building a house. But I think oftentimes we view our lease coming up as an invitation to move. I'm moving again? Yeah. My lease is up. What would it mean when your lease came up to stay right where you are and dig deeper into that community and that neighborhood? To decide to put roots down in your apartment building or your condo building or your, um, your neighborhood. What would that mean? Plant a garden and eat what it produces. Again, maybe you have a tomato plant on your balcony. But maybe there's a community garden down the street and you can meet neighbors that way. Maybe planting a garden means uh, every time you see a little kid with a lemonade stand, that you decide to buy some lemonade and talk. Talk with the strangers that are gathered right there on your block. What would that look like? Take 
take spouses, have children, and multiply. I think this is an invitation to invest deeply in relationship, to raise your family right where you are, to create families if you don't have family, you know, friends that become family, to root down deeply into your neighborhood, into where you live, not just out of short-term usefulness to you, to me, but out of long-term welfare for your neighborhood, for your apartment building, for your neighbors. So I want to take a moment um, and have you turn to someone preferably that you don't know or that you didn't come with at least. And I want to invite you to answer a couple of questions. Because I think this is like, I can stand up here and say all this stuff and then you guys are like, oh yeah, what's for brunch, right? Um, I want you to talk about it and chew on it for a minute. So I want you to share with somebody that you don't know. I mean, it can be like you can know a little bit. I'm not trying to be, you know, hard. Um, Your name and your neighborhood and how long you have lived where you live right now. And then I want you to answer the question, how long do you plan to live there? And then I want to invite you to think about one Just one short-term, concrete thing that you can do to seek the welfare of your city. Short-term, so I don't want you to be like, oh, I'm going to organize a rally for peace. Like, that's not short-term, like, easy, right? Like, one, like, real thing that, that you could actually, like, put on your calendar and do at some point, right? Like, you get me? Okay, um, so I'm going to give you what? How long do you want? Two. Uh, Katie's giving me the eye. You're going to get five minutes. Um, and when you're back, I'm going to give you just a chance to shout out some of those, just so you know. You don't, I'm not, it's not for sharing, but anybody that wants to, okay? So five minutes. Go. It's been about five minutes. Are you guys wrapping up? There's a lot of talking out there, which is good. Was that enough time? No, right? It wasn't. And you'll, you can continue these conversations, but it was a little bit. You look happy, so that's great. <laughs> yeah, you're like, yay. Um, we do a lot of our justice work in partnership with Community Renewal Society. And what they recommend that we do, what, their model, I mean, it's a community organizing model, is to have one-on-one conversations with people. To discover what, what people hope for, what people dream for, what, what is difficult for people. Because it's out of those incarnational relationships that we can begin to think about ways that we can contribute and change and seek the welfare of our city. This is actually the... Christian message. (laughs) It is what Jesus came to do, right? Like, here's God wanting to know us, can't seem to make the divide, can't figure out we don't trust God. God says, okay, 
I will come into you, into this world, and I will talk with you, and I will listen, and I will hear what your hopes and dreams are, what you are fearful of, what you're overwhelmed by, and I will take it all on so I can know you. This is what it means to seek the welfare of the city. We live our lives, we live and model our lives after Christ. Be in incarnational relationship with one another. Hear our hurts and pains and brokenness and joys. It's what we're called to do as Christians, to seek the welfare of the city. I'm going to end today with um, a prayer that um, if, if you've been here before, you've probably heard me say that one of my spiritual heroes and mentors is Archbishop Desmond Tutu. And so I'm going to end with a prayer from him. Oh, we didn't share. I got so excited about talking about Jesus. Is that okay? Or do you guys want to share? Okay. Sorry. Goodness is stronger than evil. Love is stronger than hate. Light is stronger than darkness. Life is stronger than death. And victory is ours through God who loves us. Amen.